country western jazzercise? Yes. Is jazzercise like the the genre of music that it was? It's like country western eight jazzercise. It's like country western eight jazzercise. Yes. Oh, that's so weird. Welcome to the Judgment Day Refreshment Committee. I am your host as ever, sexy, sexy Dory Peacock. And with me today, as always, it's Do It To Me One More Time, Timothy Glenn Maurice. The host S with the most S? Would we say most? Would we say mostest? I'd say more S than the host has. And the host Hess. Uh, if you haven't gathered from Tim's spot on punning, we watched the host. We did watch the host. Uh, we're diving back into Meyerland. We're diving back into my girl, Steph Meyer. Oh, oh hold, hold us close, Stephanie, Steffi. and remind us why we broke up with oh, you. Oh, Steffi, baby, are you okay? Are you <laughs> are you on your game? Are you okay, honey? Do you think she just watches a lot of Netflix because she doesn't have to do anything you else? You precious sweet baby. No, she executive. She produces a lot of stuff. She but I mean, at this point, she credits. has to have so much money. She can. She has the dream that I have, which is she can stay home and pretty much binge watch anime and Netflix and do nothing else. Yeah, I think she has that life, but she uh, she's inspired to create. You know, she just has to keep getting her message out there, whatever that is. One one of these days, she's gonna be an empty nester and maybe then once her kids are all done we're mm. gonna see like the gloves come off and you're gonna see a Meyer-sance meyer I feel a little bad for Stephanie Meyer because she got so much success so quickly that she never got any mentorship or like somebody to guide her and edit her work and help her to grow as a writer and so she's become kind of a She's become a huge cash cow for people, but her writing hasn't improved in quality and and in her understanding of the form. It's really funny to me that she got the host. So the host could have been whatever, and she would have gotten it greenlit. And she got it greenlit, and they made a movie out of it. But it's like the host pretty damnedly underperformed at the box office. It's like... I don't know if it's just because Stephanie Meyer has literally only written two properties, The Host and Twilight and nothing else. And uh, the, the Chemist. The Chemist. She did write The Chemist. The, the chem- I wish it was spelled with a Y on either the... And her name was Kim. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's cute. Um, it would have been more interesting, and maybe we'll see The Chemist movie eventually. But like... I don't know. Well, it's 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 sad to me because it's like I've seen a lot of other worse male artists that make a bad thing after one good thing and they get more chances because of their one good thing. And Stephanie Meyer got put in a movie jail because apparently people don't like Twilight anymore, but I don't know if that that's not true. No, it's not quite true. And her work is very is very I was thinking about this the other day. It's very difficult to adapt to film Partly, in Twilight's case, I think it's because she wrote so little for Bella to actually want and to to play as an actor. So where Kristen Stewart does a pretty good job of capturing, like, Bella's shyness and blandness, uh, that makes her look worse than she is because it's it's such a boring, deplorable character to have to play. And with the host, I think it was just... 
I, I think the host actually was adapted in worse fashion than the book was written. See, with Twilight... So, like, so you're with, saying the movie of the host has less S than the host has. Yes. Yes, I am saying that. Because at least with Twilight, there was a lot there that was superfluous. And the film, the, the story editors for the movies kind of mm-hmm. chipped away and <laughs> stripped away a lot of the fat. And with the host, there was a lot that didn't maybe didn't need to be stripped away that was and was substituted for like the whole uh with, seeker comes after her plot with boring and badness with boring and badness um can we pivot real fast and do some news uh yeah we can do news what news you got for me tim i got two ish things uh first i i want to talk briefly about a movie that came out at the theater i work at this weekend which is mm. for children. Oh, children. For children and adults. Uh, Tell us about it. Uh, it's called Wonderstruck. It's by Todd Haynes. He's the dude who made Carol, the movie about Kate Blanchett, oh. who falls in love with Rooney Mara. Um, but this one is not about lesbians at a, at a, at a supermarket uh, or a department store. This is not a department store lesbians. This is deaf children in New York City museums. About this. Yeah, you might have heard about this. Was there a movie that was just called Wonder? There is a movie called Wonder, which is a, also a child family movie, which is about a boy with Treacher Collins syndrome, which is a syndrome which changes the way your facial structure works and you have to have facial reconstructive surgery. Oh, that's right. That's what I saw. Okay. I was confusing it with this, which is about deafness, right? Yes. Uh, and also relevant to a lot of our local family and friends, partly because the girl who played one of these children the actor uh they wanted to get someone who was deaf oh, that's cool um and also a young woman so they found this girl's actually from utah and uh they did a talent search to try and find her and, and they ended up finding her here so it's it's a thing it's out uh it's gotten good reviews uh and it's got some local people and i just wanted to raise attention to like a good thing that happened oh, in the cool. child's young adult world because uh, we're kind of in a dry spell right now how long is it playing at the Broadway? Um, probably for a month or two. Okay, I'd say from this release date, we'll see. But they'll have uh, they'll have details on the Film Society website. Oh yeah, uh, if you want to see the local theater in Salt Lake City that's playing it, if you are a Salt Lake Cityite, uh, check out slfs.org. Slfs Salt Lake Film Society is what it stands for. Yeah, um, dot org, not dot com. But anyway, so that exists. That's that's like my lighthearted news. My other news is like more juicy and fun and scary. Okay. Um, Dory, mm-hmm. have you heard about the this this story going around by this guy who wrote a little article and self published it on Medium about YouTube's algorithm and what it does to children and babies? <gasps> no. What was it? It's amazing. So this guy did some research. Uh, and, and wrote like, an, like he set up his own scientific tests? No, he just did a lot of in, individualized searching mm-hmm. and, and watched some of these videos, which if you didn't have kids, you wouldn't know about this. I didn't know about this till I read this. And it's like, oh, gosh, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. So someone figured out that there's kind of this cottage industry on YouTube where people make videos just so they'll show up in the autoplay specifically for children. Because children have very specific quirks. And we're talking like small children, like 
toddlers and babies Mm -hmm. who are given YouTube and kind of just let go by their parents who need like a break for an hour. Mm -hmm. So some of these are really benign and simple. Uh, Like there'll be like one really popular genre is finger families, which is like a nursery rhyme where there's just an animated hand and it has a song where about each finger is like a member of the family, brother, sister, mother, father. And it's like, it's, it's cute and it's benign and it's fine. Um, and the, and, so, and there's a bunch of these, there's, there's like wiggle style, like factories where there's a bunch of adults that will dance around in front of a green screen, wearing animal costumes, making animal sounds for uh 30 minutes and like, just so they can do that. But it gets weird when you realize how much the algorithm keys in on what kids like. Right. So first of all, you get stuff that's like very obviously knockoff bootleg stuff where it's really confusing where it's like okay. watch every character from Aladdin swap heads while a little girl comes in every time they get a head wrong and makes a really creepy crying sound. Oh, okay. Um, and then it gets worse because A, the algorithm can't distinguish between like good stuff and bad stuff. Mm-hmm. So if you're like on the YouTube kids app, mm-hmm. you can have videos pop up. That's like, watch Peppa Pig drink bleach. Oh, <laughs> why? <laughs> and other weird stuff. Like there's, if you, do you want to see a video of the Hulk, the Joker, Spider-Man and Elsa all pregnant, all of them hmm. being force fed, uh, on CGI, because that can show up for your kid on the algorithm. So, so like, like, why do people make such weird shit is my question. Because they can't get hits. Sometimes they make it because it's like, I guess someone wanted to make Pe- Peppa Pig drinks bleach just because they are like trolling or they want to make something gross. Uh-huh. But sometimes they make this stuff because they make it really cheaply using CGI or they make it using masks and like costumes because they can. Because if you get in the algorithm and you have like six or 10 of these channels where you're getting like tens of thousands of hits or you get them in the algorithm in the right place, you can get a million hits on one of these videos. So what's the value of getting hits on those videos then? It's penny- they get more funding for their other work or it, what? No, it's pennies on the, on the value. It's people just making money off of like oh. very strange algorithms and it creates very strange content so, and a lot so of it that's not safe getting, for kids. So because they're getting so many hits, they get more ad money from YouTube? Yeah, they get ad money from YouTube. Like it's really easy to get ad money now. Anyone pretty much can do it. Hmm. And it's like you're getting, you're getting like fractions of pennies on the view, but if you get a million views on a video and, and you know you, how to get a video because you're like, you know how to rig the algorithm. It, you make really weird stuff. That's horrifying. And the, and the biggest like algorithm draw is those kids that get their parents phone and just keep clicking the up next thing. Absolutely. Oh, wow. So I guess it's really great. Um, article, you should check it out if you can find it. Um, it's so weird. Uh, the moral of the story is parents, probably shouldn't use the YouTube kids app because it's no. not safe. If you want your kids to watch something, lock autoplay and put, make a set playlist of pre, you should probably have previewed every video. You don't have to watch, watch the whole thing, but skim it. Make sure it's not like pregnant Hulk getting force fed. <laughs> um, and also maybe use Netflix instead if you can. Anyway, it was weird, but that worth is, looking at. That is odd. It is a strange rabbit hole. Oh my gosh, we still don't know what markets we're creating. That's insane. Well, that was a good. That was a good news hour, Tim. Thank you. That was good stuff. Now, do you want to deep dive into the host? Oh, am I gonna? We're we gonna put a a nice uh, dandelion seed in the back of my neck. A nice dandelion seed, yes. And we're gonna coax it into your neck with love. Love. 
Okay, so... You guys didn't know. <laughs> you guys didn't know. You always tried to hate, treat it like your enemy. All you have to do is ask nicely for it to leave. Yeah, After that's you use anesthetic. It's, it's like if you say please to the body snatchers. Okay, so the host is based on a book, as we have said. The book is about, and the movie, is about a race of alien beings who are insect-like in nature. They're like little dandelion seeds. Yeah, many tendrilled... They're cute. And they are cute. And they tend to colonize other worlds by, uh, they're, they're parasitic. So they embed themselves in the host of whatever seems to be the dominant species of whatever planet they're on. And they colonize worlds that way. And they have all these benevolent effects where they are perfectly harmonious. They get along with each other, trust each other perfectly, love each other perfectly. To illustrate this, which I think is one of our favorite things in the movie is at many points where they need to go to the store instead of it being like a world full of brands and like advertising it's just in big basic font sans serif on the front of the building store yeah the store is called store and you don't have to act <laughs> and they don't use money in this society they, they just they share, take and share what they need. like yeah it's a it's it's kind of a perfect utopia um, I think that's the case in the book I listened to about half the book at work um and got super, super bored and had to quit. <laughs> but so these, these aliens have taken over earth and they've infiltrated all the humans and they bring in this one new alien called wanderer. And the thing with these aliens is they call themselves souls and the souls usually pick a planet and they stay there. They're more like colonists than anything. And Wanderer has been through several different invasions and has worked on several different planets. And her MO is that she kind of shows up, lives as an organism, does the job for a while, and then goes on to the next thing. She's had like 12 plus different hosts prior, right? Yeah, like a lot of different hosts. She's been all kinds of weird creatures that we never get to hear about in the movie. In the movie, we don't. In the book, she talks about being like um, some kind of large mammal. She talks about being inside a sentient plant species that was on one planet um anyway so they they bring her in and this is where the paths start to diverge so in the book she comes to earth and works as like kind of a history teacher for the other souls talking about all the planets that she's lived on and like in her history lessons we get some ethical discussion of what they do um and she talks about how like at one point they were on a planet where um the species that they infiltrated was the dominant one, but there were other sentient species that they helped wipe out because they didn't realize these other species were sentient. And so you get the sense that like the souls are uh, utopian by human standards, but still like bound to certain flaws. Right. Having to do with culture clash and how people interpret ethics and morality. Anyway, Wanderer is uh, put into the body of a person whose name was Melanie Strider. And in both book and movie, uh, the longer she's in this body, the more of Melanie's thoughts and feelings she starts to have. And she starts to feel that Melanie's consciousness is still alive within her because usually the consciousness of your host dies away, fades away. And you, you get their memories and you get their feelings, but their personality, whatever it is besides their body that makes them them, is gone. But Melanie persists. And in the book, 
it's just sort of a feeling Wanderer has that she needs to like go find Melanie's family who are part of this human resistance living in the desert somewhere. And she drives off and gets in a car crash and wanders off into the desert to find them. And because she's been seeing Melanie's memories, she already feels like she has a relationship with these people and she has to gain their trust. And that's about where I left off in the book. In In the the movie, movie, Wanderer has been brought in and put in Melanie's body specifically to plumb the depths of Melanie's memories and give information to the basically the alien police with who what they call the seekers to go and find the human resistance and there's a character that i'm not sure if she's in the book or not called uh mainly just called seeker who is basically javert as other reviews have pointed out mm-hmm. and this seeker is rabidly going after uh wanderer and melanie to the point that even the other aliens are like um you know there's so few real humans left does it really matter if we catch them all and she's like no it super matters and later you kind of find out it matters because her human host has also been resisting (gasps) oh no and there's also like a symbiotic effect where the longer the souls are in human bodies the more human they themselves become so we have this really interesting sci-fi premise about the nature of agency and identity and also society and how societies blend together and kind of the weird microcosm of exchange of cultures when they do. Yeah. The- and all that does... That's not why we're really here. <laughs> why are we really here, Why Tim? are we here? Love triangle, Quadrangle. Quadrangle. Boys, we're here for boys. We're here for boys, and one of us is an alien space lady. One, one of us is an alien space lady. So, okay, here we go. Here's where it starts to resemble uh, the plot of the play closer. So, Melanie... This is where you can tell it's a Stephanie Meyer thing. Yes. Melanie, the human woman, was in love with Jared, the human man. Right. And she also has a little brother named Jamie, who is kind of like her big responsibility, and she's got a crazy uncle who's a doomsday prepper that saves humanity. Um, when Wanda, Wanderer, who gets nicknamed Wanda, shows up... Because they all get tired of saying words. Yeah, they get tired of saying words, good. So when Wanderer shows up in Melanie's body, um, Jared, who was in love with Melanie, is really pissed that her body's been taken over and is really angry about it and won't have anything to do with her. Ian the human man <laughs> starts to fall in love with the personality of Wanderer. So you have two consciousnesses, Melanie and Wanderer, sharing a body in love with two different gentlemen. And Wanderer feels some pull towards Jared because she can feel Melanie's feelings about him, but her own consciousness is tipping her toward Ian. And that's really like... It's dumb and it's great. It's, it's dumb and it's great. But it's more dumb this time. It's, it's, it's like something that should have been like, even... This is the thing, like, we have these huge sci-fi concepts. And I'm okay with that boiling down to the human conflict of, like, having two people share a body and be in love with two other people. There's interesting things you could say with that. Right. But of course, with our girl Stephanie, she doesn't she doesn't say anything. Especially with, it. with the people who made this movie, because it it took Twilight, remember, 
four movies to kind of get its groove, and it never really did all the way. We were actually going to review Runaways today, the the new Disney show on Hulu, but I jumped the gun and I thought it was on. And we wound up watching some other weird thing that was also Runaways. And the only reason we watched The Host was because I could get through it is because Dory's like, well, do you want to finish Runaways or do you want to watch something else? I'm like, well, let's watch The Host. Like I this, was like, I'm going to make you watch the host. Because he was like, this, fine. Because this <laughs> bad show on Hulu was so bad that even the host was better. Yeah. Here's, I don't know. I think the movies were afraid to tell such a slow moving, uh, emotionally driven story that we got in the book. And so they added this whole thing about the Seeker coming after her and the Seeker losing her humanity, which again is kind of a cool idea but doesn't get its full due in a way. I think, though, I don't know. In some ways, I, I can get down with this story, but the film the filmmaking does feel weird and lackluster, and I want you to talk about that because you know more about film language than I do. A lot of it's because so much of it is not shot in a way that really looks dynamic. Well, part of it is that the, the production design is so boring. Like so much of it takes place in this hollowed out cave and there's kind of one striking image, which is this wheat field in the middle of an abandoned volcano that's dormant. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's, it's, it's this wheat field where you can, it's kind of nice to see like a giant field of wheat in like a cave. Mm -hmm. It's cute. And they use mirrors to reflect the sun so that it gets the whole field gets sunlight. But beyond that, there's nothing really original about the look of it. And very beigey. Very beigey, and everything's kind of shot very basically. Also, the director doesn't really know what to do. The writing's really dumb. Here's the thing. This dialogue is awful. So you talk about in the book how it's kind of a feeling Wanderer gets, right? Yeah. In the movie, it's an inner monologue that the, is yeah. relentless. Like, so much of Mel- Melanie is pretty much trapped in voiceover for most of the movie, um, where pretty much everything she does is... Uh, you know, this, this echoey voiceover that comes over. And the thing is, if you're going to have a conversation with yourself, a literal conversation, not just a feeling, I'm all down for alien or ghost or whatever inside a body talks to the other person in the body. Cause I think you'd mm-hmm. have a lot of interesting philosophical conversations about autonomy with two people sharing the same space, but all the conversations that Wander and Melanie have are all dumb. They're like, yeah, they're, it's not smart language. Like Melanie never asks. So what was it like being a plant? Like, yeah, <laughs> that really should have been a conversation. Hey, in a what movie. are other planets like? You know how you've experienced worlds I can never imagine. Because <laughs> Wanderer is thousands of years old and like his experience, all this stuff. Oh, yeah, that's one of the funny thing. People like to take fun of Edward and Bella, but it's like Wanderer and Ian is so much weirder and worse in mm-hmm. some ways. It's so it, it's so weird. And it's 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 nothing that we haven't seen before. Like Tim kept talking about uh, the Stargate, which, you know, the whole thing hinges on the idea of parasites and whether or not you can like live with a, a Paris as the host of a parasite. And Dory, what is your feeling on Stargate? Just so we're clear. I don't like it. She doesn't like it. And I she, don't like it. And to be fair, when you revisit Stargate, that show is not good it it doesn't start good it gets less bad it gets less bad to kind of fun and passable but one thing they kind of get into once they have like a budget and time mm-hmm. is this fun little subplot about what would it be like if so the, the main enemy is like a group of evil snakes that possess people what if there's a group of 
good snakes that only possess people who want to be possessed voluntarily. And it's more of a symbiotic relationship than a parasitic one. And that really confuses me about something like the host, because first of all, do you really need to tell a story about humanity who is forcibly kind of excised from their own experience versus the experience of a humanity? Because if, if aliens came to earth, you know, they wouldn't have to right away, like take us over all right away. There'd be Mm. some people that are like, let's share. I'd be down to have a consciousness inside me. I want to like learn and, and grow as a species. Yeah. Well, and there's, I don't know. It's I, I, when I saw this, A few years ago, back when I was watching bad movies alone and not forcing Tim to watch them with me. Ha ha. um, I thought to myself, you know, this is the only body snatcher movie where I would cheer for the body snatchers because everything the body snatchers do is very peaceful and kind and socialist. Like at one point, um, there, Melanie convinces Wanderer to escape from a facility and they need conveyance. So Melanie's like, steal this guy's car. And Wanderer walks over to the car and says to the guy, may I borrow your vehicle? And he's like, yes, it's a very reliable model. Here you go, darling. It's got a full tank of gas. And he's like, she just gives he's it like, to have him. it back by midnight. Like he doesn't even say have it back. He's just like, there you go, sweetheart. And like the aliens are so much better than the humans. It's store. <laughs> Yeah, and the humans are such assholes. Like, humans, Ian, the guy who becomes the love entrance, tries to kill kill Wanderer on sight, and her uncle Jed stops her. Um, There's another guy who's Ian's brother who tries to push her down, like, a hot, like a well of sorts. (laughs) And then she saves him from the well, proving that she's more human. All the humans do is, like, steal shit with guns, and the aliens are, like, so kind and peaceful. I think it's funny given Stephanie Meyer's upbringing that she, but it's funny because it's like in the movie, at least communism isn't really bad. It's just kind of over there. It's well, not like, here, it's not implicitly evil. It's just like the way they do things where they're not human. Yeah. They don't really make a good argument for like the need for individuality and humanity's like flaws to experience as well. Exactly. They, they make a good argument for sex, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, they do make a good argument for sex. All of the non all of the non-human aliens are pretty sexless to be fair. They are. And in the book there's a moment where Wanderer is having a hard time adjusting to being human because Melanie is still alive and an alien psychologist basically says, "You know, you should have some sex. Like, why don't you go do some human stuff and it'll be fun. Just have fun being a person." And and I think you're right. Like the the movie doesn't know which big ideas it cares most about. Do you care most about the idea of two cultures learning to understand each other's ways? Do you care most about the idea that, um, utopia is empty without freedom? Like pick a thing. And then also is your love triangle, your love triangle isn't adding to those ideas in any significant way. You talked about, it's interesting because Twilight is kind of a mess, but Twilight is a mess that kind of, at the end of the day, you can always sink your teeth into Edward and Jacob and kind of their weird relationships each to Bella. Mm-hmm. This isn't really anything to sink into because the guys are interchangeable. They're hard mm-hmm. to tell apart. At one point, I literally couldn't tell apart two guys who are brothers. They look the same. Mm-hmm. Um, it does not help that they're both white guys with brown to blonde hair. Mm-hmm. Whereas Edward at least is like a white skinned redhead and Jacob is like not white. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, and so it gets really kind of confusing, first of all, 
there's really nothing to sink your teeth into otherwise. And it's like Twilight has kind of the love story as its spearhead versus here the, the concepts kind of start out and then the love story is kind of where it lands. Like they have to kind yeah. of get to the love story later, which is weird. And if you want to see a body snatcher love story that is good, just go watch Star Trek. To be perfectly honest, we were talking during, while you were talking about Stargate, we have this, this constant argument, Tim and I, where Tim says, okay, Stargate is worth watching. And I say, um, everything on Stargate has been done by Star Trek and done better. Which is not true. But it's mostly true. Maybe one day I'll change my mind about that. But there is a great episode of Star Trek where Beverly Crusher falls in love with a trill, um, which is a race of beings who are a lot like the one that Stephanie created. They're kind of... Uh, little parasitic creatures that live inside a host and they manufacture their own host bodies on their home world. And there's a love story about a host body that expires when Beverly was in love with the guy and she has to decide if she's still in love with the person he is, even when he's in a different host. Um, and so, so there's a way to do this is what I'm saying. And there's a way that it's been done really well. And if I might shill for a minute, our unofficial sister brother podcast, brother podcast, sister podcast, shut up, Wesley. Um, our unofficial brother podcast, shut up, Wesley just did a great fun episode about the, the trill episode of, yeah. of TNG, but there's, there's ways to do this stuff. I'm just really disappointed. Again, she's come out with such like such incredible concepts and incredible ideas for stories and has no idea how to actually like put a story in them. I want, I want to see something someday where Stephanie Meyer gets like just the story credit. Just the story credit. Yeah. She's not like a screenwriter or like a, a writer. Oh, was she a screenwriter on this? I always thought, I don't think she was, but like they probably had to adhere kind of close to her book. That's the thing is it wants to be twilight so bad also. Well, and it should have been. The movie, or, or rather, the movie is more like Twilight, but the host of the book kind of diverges from Twilight. It has a lot of Stephanie Meyer's writing style, but it takes on a different approach to like plot and things because it's about stuff b- besides a boy before yeah. there is a boy. Yeah. But the movie tries so hard to be like Twilight. It just kind of, that's one reason why it falls so flat is because Twilight didn't really have a style until the very end. Well, Twilight kind of suffers. I think people thought that Twilight suffers from the external conflict coming so late in the game. In each of the Twilight books, the internal conflict takes center stage for the first two thirds of the book. Yeah. The external conflict shows up at the end, climaxes really quickly, and then gets the hell out of there. Maybe that says something about Stephanie's love life. I don't know. The, but <laughs> the weird thing about the host is the external versus internal is very kind of the, 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 the those two things are not very different mm-hmm. when a lot of the conflict literally comes from my internal monologue is fighting with me. <laughs> yeah. And see, that should have been, it's, it's an interesting idea to have a Javert character who's conflicted within themselves. But I think honestly, the piece suffers from that. Well, and if also that been... once she's neutralized, it's all just kind of nice and safe. Yeah. Like at a certain point, the, the conflict decides, you know what? We don't really need to be a conflict. Yeah. yeah. So there's not a lot uh, to kind of like they very quickly. Re- it, it's almost like the aliens. You think like it's the aliens. Like, oh, no, they're going to sniff out the humans. Eventually, the aliens are like, 
We'll just let him be. Yeah. At one point, the the other alien seekers are like, hey, this resistance is very small and we're peaceful creatures anyway. We'll just let them. Eventually, we'll get them all. They can steal from us. It's fine. They can steal from us. Eventually, we'll get them. And this one lady is like, no, I'm getting them. And she goes out on her own. But it's only because she's she's becoming more human because she's trying to resist her human. She's trying to resist her human, which is making her more human. And then she gets shot and they take the thing out of her. Can we talk about the ending? The thing I hate. We can talk about the thing you hate. Um, so can we, can we first talk about the thing I kind of hate? Oh, what do you hate? So there's this ending where um, they've been the humans have been trying to figure out how to take the body snatchers out, and Wanderer is like, I know how to take them out. It's so dumb. You, it's so dumb. You coax them out with love. You don't you don't pull them out or force them out. You just coax them out with love and send them back to the stars. And I was like, you knew that the whole time? You could have told them to like, you could have helped them with this the whole time? Like, it it bothers me because it's not, again, it's not framed as her like, hey, I know how to like, it's funny because she's give like, give the humans back their planet. She's like a last samurai dances with wolves er, but it's instead she has to learn to be with the white people well, because she's a dandelion seed. <laughs> yeah, and, and again, what I hate about it is Takes that, her a while to get there. What I hate about this is that there could have been so many, so many cool things to do with that that they just didn't do. It's, it's a, another thing, but explain what you hate because I think your thing is a better thing to hate. So first of all, the thing that's, that's stupid about the end is there's this love triangle and Stephanie Meyer doesn't like to set, make sacrifices. Everyone has to get yeah, what they want. Not. Everyone gets what they want without really sacrificing anything. Although this is the rare movie where characters die that are like relevant and important to us a little bit. Um, uh, but at the very ending, Wanderer, they take care of the Javer and they, they make her and no, and they don't even have to kill her. They're just like, send her home. Yep. It's like, bye Javer. Uh, and then Wanderer says, okay, now take me out of Melanie's body. Cause I can't stand to not let her be with Jared. Cause she loves him so much. Yeah. So she's willing to sacrifice her love with Ian. And she's like, she's also kind of like, you know what? I've had, I've lived a thousand years. I've had a good life. Don't bother putting me in a host. Don't bother putting me in a tiny spaceship. Just Cause like, she doesn't want to be in a host because she feels now conflicted about the ethical implications of taking away someone's identity. Does she, does she, because she doesn't really say much about that's that. That's not, I don't think they really say that, but I think that's what they're kind of implying. They really should they have should said have it. implied it more heavily for sure. But that's kind of the idea I think is on some level. She doesn't want to take someone else's life away from them the same way she took Melanie's away. Yeah. So she's like, just let me die. She's like, I've come around to the fact this is maybe not ethical what we're doing. Just let me die. Mm-hmm. And then she wakes up after they take her out of Melanie and, and they're like, hey, guess what? We had a brain dead body lying around just for you. Um, uh, now and you can pretty, be with it's Ian. It's a pretty girl. It's a pretty girl. We'll get to that in a second. So it's like at the very end, it's like, hey, you get exactly what you want without any problems because we just happen to have this brain dead body lying around that you can control and there's no identity for you to erase. Mm-hmm. Um, and what also makes it really, so first of all, the funny thing is what if someone has pointed out, what if it wasn't a, uh, a girl body? What if it was like a dude and it's like, Hey Ian, I'm Wanderer. And it's like a six foot two black guy. <laughs> I kind of wish, I kind of love the idea that like, I would have loved it if Ian would have been like. Like, are you sure we can't save her? Well, we do have one brain dead body. Um, it's this guy, Paul, over here. <laughs> and Ian was like, hmm, you know what? I'm cool with that. <laughs> or even if it was like, even if it was still a woman, it was like, come over here. It's uh, it's Judy Dench. <laughs> it's, it's Judy Dench. Let's mm-hmm. Harold and Mod it. <laughs> you know what? I'm cool with that. <laughs> 
That would have been so much more interesting. <laughs> if she was even a different age, like, wouldn't it have been more interesting if Wanderer was, like, in her 40s? Yeah, it just would have opened but up. But they find, like, like a know. sexy young body and everything. It's like, well, isn't it great that it's hot? Uh, now, Tim, tell the people what really bothers well, you. Well, the thing that bothers me is very specific, because the actor who plays this extra body for Wanderer is one Emily Browning. Not two Emily Brownings, just the one. She's a very talented artist. I am I am very grateful for a lot of her work. She has a lot of good stuff. Um, she kind of gets shafted in pretty much everything I've ever seen her in, where she kind of... Every, Emily Browning has this weird pattern where almost every movie I see her in ha, in some way involves a violation of her autonomy. So yeah. there's Sucker Punch where she literally gets lobotomized. There's a movie called mm-hmm. Sleeping Beauty, which is about how she sells herself to be uh, with this weird like underground sex club where she basically takes drugs that make her completely passed out and then men run in and pose her body. Ugh. Um, there is, uh, a movie called Legend starring Tom Hardy as the Cray twins, which involves her committing suicide. But after she commits suicide, her body is like weirdly posed. So it's like sexualized. Um, there's a movie called God Help the Girl, which is actually really great, but also involves a scene where a boy literally poses her like a doll. It keeps happening. It's so weird to the point where it almost kind of made me laugh in American Gods where Emily Browning plays a character who dies mm-hmm. and after she dies, she comes back to life and atomic kitchen, uh, atomic kick somebody in the ball so hard, like their head explodes like up top. It's hilarious. <laughs> but like, and in this one, she was a dead person who she, got a bug shoved in her so she could live. Yeah. So it like, doesn't really bother me. It really, it's a weird pattern. I've noticed it's a weird mm-hmm. pattern where Emily Browning kind of has this very, quote unquote doll like face. Mm-hmm. She has a lot of very round features. Huge eyes. Huge mm-hmm. eyes. People keep putting her in this instance and I'm like, don't do this to this actor who's so good. She's so good. Y'all should see American Gods if you feel like you might want to watch that show because her character is the best thing in it. Mm-hmm. Because she's one of those really great characters that's really awful but really amazing to watch because she's so electric on screen. Kind of love to hate her. Is that kind of the Not deal? even love to hate her. You just love to watch what she does. That's cool. If you ever want to see Emily Browning, uh, a gay taxi driver from Pakistan and a leprechaun all going on a road trip out West. It's I like, have always wanted to see that. That is a, that is basically a sit, like a, a mini sitcom in American Gods. Oh my gosh, that's so great. I love that. So in the end, we have Emily Browning and she gets to be with Ian and she's Wanderer. And then we have Melanie and she gets to be with her white boy. With white dude. White dude McGee. I honestly think this would have been a better movie if they would have abandoned the the human resistance plot and them having to run from the aliens and just had... Because um, what if all the conflict was the boys? What if all the conflict was the boys? What if the whole conflict had been an alien experiencing humanity from the first time and like learning about what it means to have feelings and what it means to like have these worst tendencies that her species doesn't have? And then on top of that, to deal with complicated things like love and sex and death like that. If that had been the whole story without this whole running away from people thing, that could have been really interesting. Did you notice that, see, Wanda is called Wanderer, and Melanie's last name is Strider. Strider. 
I think I know what you're getting at here. Melanie is one of the Numenor who was blessed with what, long what, life what in the fall this? of Gondolin. What is this? This is Lord of the Rings. Uh, okay. Anyway, I think that's about. Uh, do you have any final thoughts? I we gotta my, wrap it up here. That was my last thought, man. I we deserve better, Stephanie. I'm 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 in your corner. This is the thing about Stephanie Meyer properties. It is just like Twilight. Like you, I don't hate them in the same way I think I would. I'm not like upset by them. I'm just like I deserve better than this, and I want a version of this that's good. But it's just, and it's so much worse than the host. Well, luckily for you, than it is for the Twilights. Luckily for you, there are several trail episodes of Star Trek TNG and Star Trek Deep Space Nine. We'll that get deal, there someday. That deal with this same thing. In 2029. You you should just just watch Star Trek, Tim. Just. Just in give 2029. In. Give in to yourself. Okay. Um, thanks, everybody, for listening. You can follow the committee on Twitter at JDRefcomLove. You can email us at JDRCLove at gmail.com. Yep. You can leave a comment on our website, JDRefreshmentCommittee.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Dory E. Peacock. You can follow Tim on Twitter at CyberMormon. You can find the committee on Facebook. We're just under our name, the Judgment Day Refreshment Committee. There you can also follow my page, Pete the Douche. Um... <laughs> So named because Facebook thinks that Dory Peacock is a nonsense word and won't let me put my own name as a page. So follow Pete the Douche and maybe someday we'll pressure them to let me change it. Um, Tim, do you have anything else you want to plug before we go? Uh, I'm at CyberMormon on Twitter. Uh, my current full screen name, not my handle, my handle's at CyberMormon. My name is, it's me, the new Jam Brady. Let's knock over 7-Eleven. He's very, very proud of that new name. Um, then I guess these are our sign-offs. It's called Store. Thanks everybody for listening and remember, we won't judge you, but we will bring the jello salad to your trial.